The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I don't have a cute nickname. And boy, howdy, am I beat. You are so sleepy. I'm, I'm, I'm not sleepy so much as just exhausted. Well, so it's all been draining out of me in the last couple of days. It's so been a, I, it's been a draining week for the entire country, has yeah, it not? Yeah, it, as we record this, it is eleven o'clock mm, on mm. Wednesday, November fourth. Uh, the presidency has yet to be officially <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> Biden um, Nelly has to win like one more state. Kind of mm. doesn't matter which one, as long as it's not Alaska, which will never happen. So anything can happen. Mm. I'm a bundle of nerves. <laughs> I'm too tired to be nervous. Yeah. I, I, to to uh, cite the title of the final REM record, it's time to collapse into now. <laughs> it's also time to collapse into this week's episode of Cancel Too Soon. And it's Scary-tober still, kind of. Kind of. Uh, so uh, in October, we tried to do as many horror-themed shows as possible, and there's no shortage of those, even failed versions uh, throughout TV history, uh, and of course, every uh, month we ask our patrons to vote for an episode, and they voted for this week's episode, but life got away from us. We're trying so hard to produce as many podcasts yeah. as we can, and I think we produced a, quite a few podcasts, but no, something always seems to no. fall behind. But we were able to see uh, at least most of, because it's widely unavailable, mm-hmm. and uh, the... Uh, because of the YouTube algorithms and the way things sort of shift out from under us in the streaming universe, mm. we weren't able to see all of it. So we're going to be giving you a very uh, a general overview, of course, yeah. but we won't be able to comment on several episodes. It was our understanding when we uh, put this on the poll that all of the episodes were available. Turned out we were wrong. All but one of the episodes were available, and we thought to ourselves, well, that's pretty close. Mm. That's still worth doing. Uh, and then as I was doing my research, some of them vanished. So Whitney's seen like two or three of these that I haven't. I apologize for that. That sucks. Uh, But I am so glad we covered this show because this show (laughs) was a ghoulish, mean-spirited bit of wacko 1960s TV history. And it has a fascinating history on and off the screen. Let's talk about Roald Dahl, the author of such books as Matilda... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Witches, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Fantastic Mr. Fox, no shortage of great books, hosting the horror anthology series Way Out. And now, our host, Ruel Dahl. How are you? This 
is the control room of the CBS television studio. And we're just about to start a new show. Now, you may find that this particular play disturbs you just a tiny bit as it goes along. If it does, let me assure you that that's nothing to what it did to me when I wrote it. I thought it was perfectly beastly. This is a nasty little piece of work, isn't it? This is... There's a lot uh, of anthology TV shows. It was a popular format hmm. uh, in the 1950s and 60s. because This, this was... ran contemporary with uh, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. It, it actually premiered on CBS right before uh, the episode, I, th- I think it's called Long Distance Call, about the little boy who's like speaking to like his grandmother on like a toy telephone, but okay. she's dead. All right. Uh, good episode, not an amazing episode. I think it was one of the last episodes of season two. This was a mid-season pickup. And do you know the story of the mid-season pickup for this? Because it's weird. No, I okay. don't. But uh, a little background. Roald Dahl uh, is actually a really good figure to host uh, an anthology series, mm-hmm. a horror anthology series, that is, specifically. He's best because... known for his kids' stuff, but at the time he was known as a as a a wordsmith of the macabre. Yeah, he wrote a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call them horror stories necessarily, but dark stories. And yeah, in... darkly humorous stories, some of them horrifying, some of them crime-related, yeah, some of them he just was... cruel. <laughs> some of them just cruel, and that's notable because he was very notoriously a misanthrope. He hated humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this show, he uh, begins his introductions with how, uh, oh, and... Wouldn't it be great if you could just kill your spouse? And he would give you suggestions like very, very, on how to do it. Very specific instructions. Like Some of them seem like stuff mm. you could actually do at home. Mm. And Buy some sort of, oysters and let some of them rot until they're poisonous. And then take the juice and Put them into good there. oysters, but only put a few drops in each. And that way they'll never know it's you. And your I'm husband like, will be dead. And uh, extra bonus, you can sue the fish market for selling you poison oysters. And rolled. And by the way... I. I they pronounce it on the show, and I'm going to have such a hard time doing this because I've been calling him Roald Dahl my whole life. Ruald. Ruald Dahl, yeah. Maybe that's correct. If that's correct, I imagine so. He knew the people making the series, didn't he? So, Ruald Dahl. Uh, I wanted to, like, reach out into the screen and be like, dude, even if that isn't deadly, people could get really sick. Yeah. It's actually, like, it's actually, like, kind of grossly irresponsible to suggest that. Well, of course, if they, if some somebody tries it and somebody gets really, really sick, though, would they sue him because it didn't kill them? Because he's instructing you on how to actually kill somebody. It's interesting because, like, there's there's actually, like, people in the entertainment industry try to be careful about stuff like that. In fact, you might recall um, in the movie Fight Club, uh, there's a scene where Tyler Durden, played by uh, Brad Pitt, explains how you can use basically the ingredients in soap to create Mm. explosives. And they had to make damn sure that that was not an accurate recipe. (laughs) And they were very, very careful to make sure that the actual, any factual basis for that, and I think Mm. there was some, had to be completely rewritten so that if you tried that recipe at home, it wouldn't work. So people try to be pretty careful about that now, but this just kind of ties into the way that way out... Mm is mean. It's, yeah, it's a really cruel show. Tell me about the, the making of okay. the show. Like a little, some this of the is, vital stats. This is fascinating because the history of Way Out is weird and rushed because it was not just a mid-season replacement, it was a mid-mid-season replacement. 
because it filled a time slot that was originally held by You're in the Picture. Are you familiar with You're in the Picture? Oh, wasn't that, it was like a sort of a call-in acting, uh, like improv show? That sounds like what it would be, right? But no, that's not Mm. what it is. Jackie Gleason, star of The Honeymooners, Mm. huge comedian. You might know him from things like Smokey and the Bandit, if you're not familiar with Retro TV. Uh, He hosted a game show, and the concept of the game show was this. They took celebrities, and they put their heads... Through one of those like oh. little like headboards you see at like the beach, right, 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 and like oh, you put your head in and like oh, it's like you're fighting a shark or uh, oh, you're getting married or something. And then somebody would give them clues as to what they were doing, and they yeah, guess. basically they were playing twenty questions to try to figure out what yeah, they were okay. actually I, doing. Okay, I I conflated this with whose line is it anyway because they did that on whose line. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Gleason hosted this show and had celebrity guests. The celebrities are people most people wouldn't know now. Uh, the story goes that Johnny Carson was supposed to be a guest. He did one rehearsal and walked off the set. <laughs> and they both they posted one episode of You're in the Picture. And it was so despised <laughs> and so unpopular that the next week in that time slot, they did not show You're in the Picture, nor did they show some other random show to fill the time. They showed... Jackie Gleason apologizing for half an hour. Wow. Jackie Gleason apologized to the audience for hosting one episode of You're in the Picture. And and that's even I, worse than Emily's reasons why not. Yeah, this is pretty damn amazing. And so what happened is Gleason would actually and I got a couple of quotes here. Mm. Uh there's nothing here except the orchestra and myself. We have a creed tonight, and the creed is honesty. Last week we did a show that laid the biggest bomb. It would make the H-bomb look like a two-inch salute. (laughs) And uh, uh, he acknowledged the criticism. He said, you don't have to be Alexander Graham Bell to pick up the phone and find out it's dead. That segued, because they needed something to fill the time, uh, into the Jackie Gleason show, which was a hastily thrown-together talk show Featuring Jackie Gleason interviewing celebrities. Uh, Jane Mansfield was in an episode. Uh, apparently. Fine idea. Yeah, yeah. It's just Jackie Gleason talking for half an hour with a celebrity. Uh, and apparently in one episode, he even had a chimpanzee. Just talking to a chimpanzee for half an hour. So you're a chimp. How's that going for you? Yeah. The studio needed to put something together quick. Because they had a lot riding on this game show starring Jackie Gleason, and now they've got nothing. And so the producers decided, okay, the Twilight Zone's a big hit for the network right now. Let's ride on the coattails of that. Let's do a horror anthology series, and let's try to make it Supernatural-themed. And, you know, Twilight, it's like the middle of the season. Twilight Zone is kind of wrapping up. We'll have a, another show. Um, and they came up with the idea of contacting Ruald Dahl, who, again, master of the macabre, mm. uh, and saying, hey, could we use, there's a story he wrote called William and Mary, which ended up being the pilot episode, we'll talk about it in a minute. Can we use that for a TV show, and would you mind hosting a show and like helping us put it together? And there's a whole bunch of different writers, only one story ended up being actually based on a real doll mm. uh, a story. Uh, but they all kind of have a similar vibe. Like, it's sort of like, 
if Roald Dahl like curated like an anthology of shorts, uh-huh. this is probably the kind of stuff he would have really dug <laughs> because they're vicious and they're hateful and they're full of terrible people. Like most episodes have no one in the episode that you could even remotely like. Mm-hmm. They're just cruel, awful, terrible people who become cruel awful, terrible victims. And, yeah, and you, you think that, uh, in many of the stories, you think it's going to be, oh, this guy is really, really horrible, and it turns out there's somebody else in the story who's just going to out-horrible them. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's so exactly so that, that, that one horrible guy is going to get comeuppance, but now somebody else is even more horrible. It's not a moral series. Like, the Twilight mm. Zone had, the dramatic irony was usually seen as tragic. Oh, isn't this sad? But in Way Out, if something really shitty happened to somebody, it's almost like a Tales from the Crypt yeah, thing. Good. You're supposed to go, <laughs> good. Well, and, that, and that's something I really love about Tales from the Crypt, is it's outright cruelty. Yeah. It, it takes a very dim view of humanity, Tales from the Crypt, and... It seems to enjoy that dim view. Yeah. Yes, people are horrible. They're going to stab each other and eat each other's hearts. Isn't that delightful? No one in the world ever gets what they want, and that is beautiful. Uh, Thank you. They might be giants. You're welcome. Uh, Way Out is the bitterest show I've seen uh, from this early yeah. Usually that kind of cynicism didn't start creeping into popular entertainment for like another couple of decades. Yeah, we Tales like from to the think Crypt about shows do, yeah. are really dark now. Like, oh yeah, they didn't used to be that dark. They tried. No. <laughs> they tried at least once or twice. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the, this sort of uh, deep, deep cynicism about the human condition is something that is just on full display in something like Way Out yeah. in a way that I was exhilarated by. The, I this, love this show. When this show was, there's a couple of duds, but when this show was good, mm. this show was real. This show is as, there's a couple episodes here that are as good as Upper Echelon Twilight Zones. Yeah, or, or Tales from the Crypt for or, that Or Tales yeah. from the Crypt for that matter. Like, there, there's some really good vicious, bitter episodes that do not deserve to be, like, hidden away mm. from the world. Because yeah, some of these yeah. are, are good. <laughs> and the ones that aren't good that I saw, again, I missed a couple because mm. availability. Uh, the, even the worst ones were fine. Yeah. There's yeah, a couple that are like, eh. They're but, com- like, they're not bad. I watched them. I, mean, I was entertained. I just sort of, afterwards, I'm like, I'm not going to remember that in a year. There are some that are, yeah, incredibly strange. But, yeah, uh, when yeah, when it when it was firing, it was firing really, really well. It wasn't just cyn- cynical. It was also scary. Yeah. There are a lot of really, really frightening here. things going on in this show. Right off the bat, the, the opening credits of Way Out, and Way Out has an apostrophe in mm. front of it, which I'm not sure what, like, is it, like, because he's from Norway? Is it Norway Out? <laughs> I don't know. It's, but it's um, way out, and um, that that is uh, based on uh, exit signs in England. Oh, they didn't. Some exit signs uh, back in the day didn't say exit; they said way out. Okay. Uh, well, but but way out also uh, in the sixties came to mean something else. And like it's like, out there. It's crazy. It's, it's like weird. It's way yeah. out, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so every episode opens. The title sequence is actually weirdly creepy because at first you see just a hand in the frame Mm. and then you realize it's one of many hands that aren't connected to people (laughs) and then as we like sort of pan down this weird pile of hands there's one hand that's just sort of standing upright like it's been sliced off Mm. and it's sitting on a desk and then that hand is lit on fire somehow (laughs) i presume they had some flammable liquid off camera and they just light it lit it but it's in hell yeah it's 
weird and gruesome and it doesn't make any sense like it's nothing like it doesn't pertain to anything it's, it's a just good, it's good abstract nightmare image it's, not, it's, it's an abstract yeah. nightmare image but when you look at for example uh the opening of the outer limits mm. we have controlled your television set do not adjust we control the horizontal we control the vertical there's a narrative behind the surreal imagery that you're seeing twilight zone often had the same thing you're entering another dimension and so mm. it mentioned not only of sight and sound but of mind and the imagery, as weird as it was, and the Twilight Zone went through a few different title sequences over its run, it related to the narrative, and so there was something kind of grounding it. Way out? Just fucking way out. <laughs> weird. And the opening, it's not like um, it's not like the Twilight Zone where you watch the episode and then the camera pans over and Rod Serling is just standing there all creepy-like, which is... So surreal and effective. I always loved that. That he was always on the set with the actors. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, he wasn't. They're not the actors. They're the people in the story. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of pans over, and there's like some weird dreamlike figure, this deity who <laughs> lords over them. A, a slick hairdo and a cigarette. Yeah, weird. Um, it opens with Rural Dahl, and it's just his face big in the foreground, and then behind him, over his shoulder, usually his left shoulder, but I think they switch it up a couple of times. Um, no, it's usually his right shoulder, but like screen left. You see there's a screen behind him that also has his face on it, and then the screen behind that with his face on it. It's one of those infinite... Yeah, they're pointing the camera at the screen that's, yeah. that they're filming. It's just trippy. Yeah. And, uh, and he would go into... Often it had nothing to do with anything. Just some weird, mean-spirited monologue. About how people are awful. Yes, well, yes, uh, uh, this, uh, there's a famous traveling explorer, you probably know her, Gertrude McGillicuddy, or some obviously made-up name. And uh, she, was, she was dining with the Maharaja, and he, had, he was on his 75th millionth wife. And she said, how did you get rid of the others? And he said, well, I take uh, the, the whiskers of a fully grown tiger and I slice them up and I put them in a soup. And uh, they're, like, they're like glass. They just rip apart her insides and then hmm. she would die. And because it's technically biological matter, it just dissolves normally. And I totally got away with it. And uh, anyway, here's a story we've come up with about a guy who, like, steals another guy's face. And then, like, at the end of the episode, <laughs> Roald Dahl will come back mm-hmm. and be like, uh, the producers have told me uh, that uh, we have received uh, hundreds of phone calls asked from uh, various housewives asking where they can acquire the whiskers of a tiger. We don't know. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> and they've always had this the same sign-off. Good night and sleep well <laughs> which is something weird about it because he knows we think he's gonna say th- sleep tight hmm. but instead it's sleep well which is kind Ugh. of weirdly off-putting but not because it's kind of innocuous <laughs> i don't know i'm fine because he always paused hmm. good night and, and sleep. sleep well it was just uh, it was yeah. just his reading i don't think there was it just, it, i don't think you're, there's anything to be read into that it's just the way I, it was signing off i found it slightly off-putting um Roald, Roald but, Dahl, very, and uh yeah. Of course, Roald Dahl is speaking very frankly. Yeah. Uh, this is an American show, but he's a British author, and I think uh, he was sort of playing with the way a lot of Americans view Brits, or at least did at the time. Yeah. That they're going to say something sort of uh, witty, intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, erudite. Yeah, a little bit erudite, and uh, that he is flinging out all these macabre things makes it all the more shocking. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the 
cast is mostly American actors. Mm-hmm. There are few recognizable actors in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some Ke- people who become famous later. Yeah, Kevin before. McCarthy shows up in one episode from mm-hmm. uh, Body Snatchers. Uh, in the same and, episode, we got Martin Balsam, right. uh, who would eventually be in uh, Mitchell. <laughs> and other things as well. Also, like, Psycho and shit. Come on. Yeah, psycho. Well, he, uh, he wasn't uh, Psycho the year previous. The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Mm. Good actor. Um, and, and, and actually, we'll, there's a ton of good actors. We're going to run through the episodes in the order in which they aired. Mm. Um, it doesn't particularly matter. It's an anthology show, but that's just going to explain I actually, the order And I actually watched them out of order, so this yeah. is going to... Apart from the opening sequence being slightly different for the first episode, they're, you they don't need to be watched in any you kind wouldn't. of uh, and, and by order. slightly different, it's like they use a slightly different angle on Ruled Doll, but like that's yeah. it. Otherwise, it's the exact same thing. Uh, so the first episode is called William and Mary, and it is based on a Ruled Doll story. And it is about uh, a professor who is dying, and mm-hmm. he's a philosophy professor, and... As he and he finds out he's got a couple of weeks to live. He's got like an inoperable brain tumor or yeah. something. And uh, played by actor Henry Jones. Yeah, Henry Jones was actually rather yeah. prolific. Henry Jones was in a lot of stuff. Uh, you might remember Henry Jones from Vertigo, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Three Ten to Yuma, The Bad Seed. Like really hardworking character actor. Um, and uh, his wife goes by his bedside, and she is. The victim of intense emotional abuse. He has been micromanaging her the whole time. He's like, he's, uh, it's like, it's a good thing I didn't, I never let you have kids because mm. if I had, they would be breaking down your door after I'm dead and it's the best possible thing. And, you know, whatever you do, fun- don't buy a radio after I'm dead. Don't, don't give in to those weird impulses you have to dance. And, and you just realize, wow, she has been living a horrible fucking life mm. he's, this whole and he's, time. Uh, He's convinced he's right, and uh, this is significant. He's a philosophy professor. Yeah, he's reading so he's, Nietzsche as he's dying, which is a choice. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I would. Something to fill fill you with joy. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the inky black void of nothingness. Yeah, uh, but uh, he is approached at on his deathbed. He's in a hospital. He's going to die uh, by a scientist played by Fritz Weaver, another great character actor who was he was in uh, he was in Creepshow. Uh, he was in Marathon Man, the Thomas Crown Affair remake, hmm. uh, the X-Files. Uh, you, you probably would recognize his face or his voice. Yeah. And he says, I have come up with something really cool. And I think you're going to like it because death sucks, right? You don't want to die. I don't want to die. But here's the deal. And he, I'm, I'm pitching this like a used car salesman. He's very like stentorian mm. and like selling it as a great scientific discovery. I found a way to take your brain out of your body and keep it alive indefinitely. Now, and he's like, why would I want to do that? That sounds awful. And he's like, well, you would no longer be distracted by the flesh, pain, Mm. hunger. You would live as your brilliant philosopher brain would exist in a state unlike any other in history. And it would be absolutely beneficial to you and to science and we'll even be able to preserve one of your eyes. I mean, it will never be able to blink, but eh, it's you, still you neat, can, right? You can see, and there's no way for him to hear. Yeah. And he says, no, I don't want to do this. And then uh, he realizes that if he does stay alive, uh-huh. he can kind of do it to spite his wife. Yeah, he, he, he figures, probably <laughs> rightly so, that his wife is really looking forward to him being dead. And she can finally, like, enjoy, like, at least they, uh, some of her life. They understand, he understands that they hate each other. Yeah. So he says, I'm going to go ahead with it. And 
unfortunately, there's not a lot of gore. It's not that kind of show, so we no. don't get we, we don't get that tales from the crypt scene where they pry the brain out of his skull and splop yeah. it into a tray. And indeed, it's actually put inside a box. It's still kind of creepy because they like they put it in the foreground and they talk about it a lot, so you know what's going on. And what happens is uh, the wife comes in after it's been done uh, to sort of check things out. And she's ready to torture him. In fact, she starts like, he wouldn't let her smoke. So she starts like blowing cigarette smoke onto his brain. <laughs> and you realize that like, and he's got like this little like waveform thing. Like you can see his thought forms like, hmm. oh, see, they're perfectly normal now. And then she comes in and starts blowing smoke on his brain. And it starts like freaking out. And you realize he did not think this through. And she is going to torture him for the rest of his existence. Her existence, because he'll keep on living. Right. But then she, whatever, she can just throw him out a window or something. Like hmm. he's, he made a terrible choice. Choice, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he made a terrible choice, and she's going to torture him for forever. Yeah, there, there's not a, a, a kind of gory comeuppance. It's just yeah. that okay, now he's in eternal pain. Yeah, the end. Thanks for tuning in. Probably shouldn't yeah. have done that. Uh, yeah. The episode is directed by Mark Daniels. Mark Daniels, From of course, Star Trek. Yeah. Yep, did a ton of Star Trek. Uh, big old, uh, oh, just very, a, very a ton of TV in general. Very but yeah, TV did all, most of TV, and he did a few episodes of this. Mm. Uh, the second episode. This is one of the ones I didn't see. It's called the Down Car. Mm. Tell me about the Down Car. Uh, let's see. some of these I watched late at night, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to fight to recall okay. some of these ones. Um, it's about embezzlement and a guy who kills himself. Something like that. Oh, uh, there's a yeah, there's a, a crashed car. Somebody fakes their death, which wasn't so uh, so faked after all. Mm. Um, it, and it, it stars it's, Ray it's, Walston from my favorite Martian. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, just uh, I, I can't say anything to it other than yeah, it's it's. You've seen this kind of story before about people who are just sort of acting out of greed and then they start acting out of suspicion and how uh, at the end of it, somebody might have been planning a double cross from the start. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's that's all I can really say. To it's very, very popular radio crime show format. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is another one I didn't see. Mm. It's called The Sisters. Uh, mm. this one, I, this one actually stars Lois Smith, who is a very prolific character. Yeah. Actor. Uh, you would know her from everything from LA Confidential to Lady it, Bird. As good as it gets. She played the mom and as good as it gets. Yeah. She's a great actress. Mm. Uh, and, uh, let's see. Carmen mm. Matthews is in this as well. She was in a ton of stuff. And, and this is, um, this is one of those things where somebody is, uh, done in by their spite. There's two sisters that hate each other because everybody hates each other on this right. show. Uh, one sister plans to kill the other sister, but before she can go through with it, the sister dies by falling off a cliff, like behind their ancestral home. Okay. And, uh, but of course it's oh, very seem- Bronte of her. And, and it, yeah. And, but then of course it seems that the ghost is coming back and she starts to lose her mind and whether or not the ghost is real or whether or not the ghost is a fake mm. just to sort of torture this person is kind of beyond the point because the point is, Oh shit, I'm being tortured to death and somebody's taking glee in that. Yeah. They should have just called this show Schadenfreude of the series. It kind of is, basically. Yeah. It's just basically like if you just want to see people suffer and you're not getting enough of that in your daily life, hmm. Way Out is the show for you. Uh, the next episode is the one that neither of us was able to see. It doesn't seem to be available right now. Yeah. Uh, we re- I really wanted to because this one sounds cool. It's called Button Button. And which I'm just going to read the IMDb which is, synopsis. I, and it's called Button Button, which was the name of uh, Richard Matheson's story. Uh, ah. In fact, they turned it into a movie called The Box. Uh, oh, yeah. Back in the mid-2000s. Yeah. 
And that one, uh, that is about uh, a, guy, a guy goes up to a married couple and says... I have, uh, I have a, a little box that's got a button on it. Push yeah. the button and you'll get everything you ever wanted, but know that when you push it, somebody somewhere is going to die and you're going to be the one yeah. responsible for their death. And it's going to be someone you don't really know, so who cares? And so it's all about the sort of the moral quandary of that. Mm. And uh, good idea. I, th- I never saw the movie. It sounds kind of thin for a whole film. Mm. The movie is bonkers. Okay. Like, it's done by the same guy who did Southland Tales and Donnie yeah. Darko. Richard, so Kelly, Richard yeah. Kelly. So it's... Like, they try to expand it and sort of give you the origin of the guy with the button and where it came from and how they might all be time travelers and this, all this, like, these weird fate fields that are affecting the fabric of reality okay, and so teleportation technology. So um, they really took some liberties with it because the original story yeah, is pretty straightforward, some. actually. <laughs> okay, so that's the amazing. moral quandary part is in there, but it's, like, a really small part of this okay, movie. Okay, I'm kind of fascinated now. I think now I need to make a point of it. Yeah, this. like, it's awful, but it's crazy. Okay, uh, the... the uh, the plot synopsis, I'm just going to read this off of IMDb. <laughs> All right. The commanding so officer of an th- under... Thank you, Anonymous56. Uh, it's frankfob2 at <laughs> yahoo.com. Don't email Frank. I'm sure he's, he's moved on. Uh, the commanding officer of an underground military bunker must decide whether to launch a retaliatory nuclear strike after all communications with the outside world suddenly cease, even though he doesn't know if the country has actually been attacked. Complicating matters is a mysterious sergeant, new to the unit, who seems to know much more about each man in the bunker than he should, and is pressing the officer to launch the strike. So it sounds a little bit like Crimson Tide if, like, the Denzel Washington character was the devil. Like, (laughs) which is a hell of a bitch! I'm not gonna lie! Uh, Crimson Tide was actually pretty fucking great enough in and of itself. If you've ever seen it, basically that's the idea. It's in a nuclear submarine. They get like a message saying World War Three may have been started and we need you to bomb Russia. But then all communication cuts mm. off and they're completely and they have nothing to do. And Gene Hackman, the captain of the submarine, is like, well, I guess we got to bomb Russia. And Denzel Washington's just like, we didn't actually get confirmation of that. And we mm. could start World War Three if that's wrong or a hoax or a and trick. Then- and of course, Jack Ryan has to catch up with the submarines and tell them in person. You're thinking of the hunt for Red October. Yeah, same okay. movie. Same movie. Anyway, moving on. Uh, anyway, it sounds like a really cool episode. Uh, sadly, it is it is not one we were able to see. Yeah, so so we cannot co- comment at all on, on Button Button. Mm-hmm. It sounds neat, and I hope I can find it at some point. The next one mm. is one of the not amazing episodes, if you ask me. It's called I Heard You Calling Me, mm-hmm. and it is about a woman who is having an affair with a married man, and she is staying in a hotel room waiting for him to call and say, I'm leaving my wife, we're going to run off together. Mm. And that's supposed to happen later today. But as she is in the hotel room waiting, she keeps getting mysterious phone calls from a woman she doesn't know saying, I know what you're doing. I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to let you ruin ruin this marriage. Mm. And she starts getting kind of panicky and starts calling the guy up. And then she starts getting more panicky because he doesn't know what's going on. And then it turns out the operator says, you have no incoming calls. Mm-hmm. And this is back again in the 1960s when the operator would have actually been a person connecting the call with wires right. so they would know. 
And they, they keep on thinking, oh, well, surely it's the wife, but they actually can place the wife. She's got an alibi, so they know it's not, they don't know who's calling her, and that's the mysterious thing. And then, yeah. yeah, and then the operator says, you haven't been getting any calls, and she freaks the heck out. I was reminded, actually, did you ever see uh, Michael Haneke's Cachet? Yes. Okay. Great movie. Uh, this reminded me of Cachet. Uh, how will you behave if you think somebody is looking at you? Yeah. It doesn't matter what they're doing with the information, you just know you're being observed, and that dramatically alters the way you behave. Yeah, Cachet does it really brilliantly. This one... Mm. Well, Cachet's a film, and it's about videotapes, it's about mm. watching, so that... It's, it's a little a, bit more cinematic, yeah, yeah. but but regardless, like, this is an okay setup for, like, a pot boiler, just someone simmering in a room, will mm. they boil over, and... I, really, the issue with this one is that the ultimate resolution, and I'm just going to tell you what it is because it's weird. Mm. Um, she is found, the, the the mysterious woman says, I'm coming over. And uh, she comes over and there's a whole bunch of weird trick photography, like negative film is processed and mm. everything. And uh, she the the our protagonist is found dead, drowned in her bed. <laughs> and it turns out that the name she had given of the woman she had heard on the phone was the name of her lover's mom who died on the Titanic. And I'm like, it's a little that's bizarre. really thin. I, wait, is she, I, she's just trying to save his marriage. He doesn't want, it's her son. What is she? It's really unmotivated. Like, it's really just not a clean I, I, I kind of got what they were going at. It's I, like, who, I, I don't it, want but... you to break up this marriage. You know, the wife certainly wouldn't want that. But, you know, the yeah. mom probably wouldn't want that either. And no. even though the mom has nothing to do with the story, right. just your mother's looking out for you. Anyway, the next episode, this is where it starts getting really fucking weird. The Croaker. The hey, Croaker is weird. Re remember when we watched... Uh, Bone chillers. One of the <laughs> teachers started to turn into a frog. <laughs> Remember when we watched Hell Comes to Frog Town? I feel like someone saw this yeah. episode and kind of ran with it. So, so yeah, it's about a, a little Dennis the Menace type who bothers Mr. Wilson, but in this one, Mr. Wilson is a frog making man. Yeah, who feeds things to locals and turns them into creatures. Uh, he is played by the amazing John McGiver, uh, who you would probably know from things like Midnight Cowboy, mm. Breakfast at Tiffany's, and The Manchurian Candidate. Really great. He's got a good scowl, yeah, big like round he, head. The casting him as like the mean next door neighbor is perfect. Like mm. he's just a mean looking person. Mm. The kid goes into the kid is running after a dog, and he thinks, and, uh, "Oh, this kid lost his dog." And then he runs into this guy's house, and the guy says, "What are you doing in my house?" It's like, "Well, I'm looking for a dog." And it's like, "Well, you lost your dog." Mm. No, I let the dog out of someone else's house, and then I return the dog, and they give me money, mm. and. Wow, what a shitty kid. Yeah. And it turns out the kid, he's the kid not is, the most evil uh, person in the fucking show. The kid, by the way, was uh, the uh, one of the kids from It, grown up. What? In the, the TV miniseries It. Oh! The Stephen King's It. Did not know. He was one of the adults in It. He was also in like Battle Beyond the Stars and stuff. He, he had, oh, it's Richard Thomas! Yeah, Richard he, Thomas, from the, he was John Boy in The Waltons. Yeah, it was also I didn't recognize him because he was he was a little kid. Wow, he's been around for forever. Yeah, so th this was an early kid. He was like nine years old when he made this. So yeah, so he's just this mean, cruel kid, and he go, wanders into this guy's house, and the guy is like in the pro he just moved in, and he's in the process of turning the interior of his house into a swamp. Yeah, this is like a lot of bubbling fluids and grass everywhere, and he's obsessed with frogs. He's got frogs everywhere, and he says that. Uh, Darwin was wrong. He thought that, you know, we evolved from, like, single-celled organisms to, you know, fish to reptiles to amphibians and... Or, to, or what, to mammals. To yeah. mammals. And he was like, no, 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 no. 
We evolved to amphibians, and then we started devolving. Into Amph- humans. Yeah. Amphibians is where it's all at. And so he is in the process of poisoning everyone in town and turning them into frogs. <laughs> so that they, and they all, and this is all, this isn't like all in his head either. This is actually happening. And he hires the kid to bring him jars of flies to feed them. And then with the funniest line in the whole series is when the kid comes in and he's just like, you every third fly was a raisin, you little cheat. Just <laughs> really funny. Um, but there's all of these like extended scenes of him like inviting people over mm. and like letting them talk and reveal just how horrible and shitty they are and giving them poison. And that's it's, like, it's, it's evil. That that's one of the the staples of the show is when somebody's allowed to speak, they eventually just reveal how shitty they are. Yeah. Like, Pretty yeah, much. and it, it turns out uh, I was embezzling, and I, I hate my wife, and I've killed my first wife, and mm. golly, wouldn't you love it if children all died? You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's just Everybody's given, given an opportunity to speak will just spill. The episode ends, he's turned pretty much everyone in town into a frog, which is really apocalyptic and crazy, mm. except the kid. And the kid comes in, and the guy's just like, yeah, it's been been a long time since you've given me any flies. It's like, oh, I've got a new gig. Yeah, see, I've actually done some research. The kid's like 10. Mm. I've done some research myself. Uh, You were actually wrong. Uh, We evolved through amphibians up to snakes. Snakes is where it's at. I have taken your formula and perfected it. And I am yeah. turning people into snakes. And he releases snakes <laughs> into, the, into the house. And he's like, no, my frogs! <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking crazy fucking show. I like to think that this was a dark mirror of Dennis the Menace. Like right? If, if Dennis the Menace and Mr. Wilson really had it in for each other and also had, like, frog juice. Right? Oh, God, what a weird episode. D- Delightful, glorious, though, really. Gloriously weird episode yeah. of television. There, there's wow. A, there's a really wonderful uh, transformation scene where uh, oh, yeah. somebody, like, slowly loses their ability to speak. And they just start, start ribbiting start, and like, hopping. Kind of croaking and... around. Yeah, that, yeah, that one was really cool. Like, it should be ludicrous, but mm-hmm. it's just such a cruel tone uh-huh. that it's actually kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, the next one, uh, this one feels way more like a Twilight Zone episode, but without like the big twist ending. Uh, this one's called False Face, and this one's written by Larry Cohen, hmm. who would go on to have a really big career writing and directing genre films. It's Alive, and God Told Me To, another yeah. Cue the Winged Serpent, a lot of crazy movies. He also wrote some like bigger films that people you know don't necessarily equate with Larry Cohen, like uh, Cellular and Phone Booth. Hmm. Great high concept genre storyteller. Yeah, genuinely great. If you ha- aren't familiar with his films, check them out. They're even if they're not all good, they're always interesting and surprisingly well written. Uh, this one is about an actor who's playing Quasimodo on the stage. Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and he is deep on, method type of actor. He is on the hunt for the ugliest, like visually ugliest human being he can find, so that he can study their face and copy it. In makeup, mm. and he's gonna pay him. Yeah, and uh, so he finds a guy who a ho- looks, homeless man. Who's, yeah, yeah, who looks like the Toxic Avenger. He's got like the weird, like sunken his, eye, like they, sunken they down said, the middle of his yeah, face. They said that he had like an illness, and he was also injured on top of that. So yeah, yeah he's got like lumps and tumors all over his face. So the guy invites him over, and he kind of just ignores the guy as he tells the story of how rough his life has been, looking mm. like this. And uh, he 
uses his modeling clay and he turns his face into this guy and he kicks the guy out and he does his performance and everyone's really happy and then he gets back to his dressing room and the makeup won't come off. Mm. Also, it's now his face. (laughs) And he can't fix it. And so he tries to hunt down the guy and it turns out he hunts down the guy uh, but the guy can't give him any answers in terms of how he did this or how to reverse it because he died. Mm. And now he's stuck like this. And I guess he'll be just a very specific character actor for the rest of his career. Like, he'll just be playing guys who look like that. Because here's the thing. that That's not great. Obviously, that's not what he wanted. But he can go back to the stage and finish out the role. Of, people, of will, people will be able... And he'll be able to talk about what a tragedy it is. And he'll be like, he, his life isn't as ruined as it could be. It's not like the guy... Well, like, I, I kept they, expecting uh, to find out the guy was like a wanted murderer. Oh, okay. And, you know, like, now he's stuck with this guy's face and no one uh, would believe him. Well, there's two things uh, vital to the story. One, uh, the main actor is incredibly vain. He, uh, and of he's, he's incredibly confident to the point of being a complete egotist. He's like, oh, I, I am the greatest actor of all time. I can recreate any face. And also, he condescends to the homeless guy like a total turd. He's a dick. He's a complete he's a dick to this dick. guy. I'm not saying and, he isn't getting his comeuppance. Yeah, and just, and, and I the, thought he was going to get yeah, his, the, I th- Here's the thing. I thought he was going to get his comeuppance like thrice filled. And instead <laughs> okay. he just got his comeuppance, which is actually he got off pretty light compared to mm. other people on this show. That's my thought. Just uh, when the homeless guy is spilling his heart, and he's completely ignoring the guy, and then when he's done, he just sort of shoes him out. Oh, what? I don't. You don't need me for any of those. Nope. Get out of here. You're ugly. I don't want to talk to you. Mm. Just really cruel to the man. And uh, so yeah, we, he's being punished for his cruelty and for his vanity. Yeah. Um, okay. Next up, this is actually a cool one because it's got a lot of cool people in it. Uh, Dissolve to black. I like this one. This, I think, is might be the most famous episode. Is, is it the famous? Only, well, it was the only one I had known about since I was younger. Interesting. I don't. Um, I'd never heard of. Like it. I'd heard of Way Out, and this was the only episode I knew about. And it feels uh, like an episode because this show, again, this show was a last minute replacement. It had a really accelerated production schedule. Hmm. They had to like write all the episodes within just a couple of weeks, and apparently they only had like a couple of days to rehearse and film them. Yeah. This feels like an episode that they might have jumped on because they didn't have to leave a soundstage because it takes place entirely. Uh, on a soundstage. soundstage. Uh, so a, a young actress uh, mm-hmm. goes to a soundstage in the middle of the night mm-hmm. uh, and is sort of let in surreptitiously and mm-hmm. it looks She's a last-minute replacement for an actress who just mm-hmm. didn't come to work. And they uh, they hear some... She hears mysterious voices over the loudspeaker giving her instructions and she eventually makes her way to the booth where they're hanging out and saying, okay, just listen to our directions. We gotta do this real fast. Mm-hmm. We're behind schedule. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm young and eager to please and I don't have a lot of work yet. Yet. And she's playing a murder victim yeah. in an unknown scene. Like yeah. She doesn't know the larger context. All she yeah. knows is that she, she's she a murder wit- victim. She witnesses two people kill a guy, and then she mm-hmm. runs down an alleyway, and then they stab her, and she dies. So she gets to rehearse it once, and then they say, hey, listen, you know, we're, on, we're really on a tight schedule. Everyone else is going to leave. I, the director, am going to stay with you. Afterwards, we'll rehearse the scene a little bit more, and then we film it tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so she says, okay. And then everybody leaves and she's stuck in there alone. And it's weird and creepy and kind of labyrinthine. Mm. And then people start showing up again. But they've got these weird ghostly sunken eyes. And it's like they're the night crew. Mm. And they do what they did during the day. But for real. So they're doing it. So they're filming the episode, but they're actually killing people. So Tales from the Crypt. Very Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Do you remember the episode with, um, it was 
John Lovitz and John Aston and yeah. John Love yeah John Lovitz never gets serious roles because he's too funny. I thought about this one a lot. Yeah, and he yeah. goes to this like obscure theater down an alleyway and he has to play Hamlet. But the big twist at the end is no, no, you are hired to play Yorick, the <laughs> skull and the gravedigger scene. Yeah, kind it's of like, weirdly oh. elaborate choice, but okay. Mm. We, got, we we couldn't find a skull. Really, no, they, they needed more authenticity. There, there's <laughs> they needed they needed they didn't just need a skull. They needed the skull of a clown. In the Tales from the Crypt episode, there's a bit where they're they're rehearsing the scene with a plastic skull, and John Aston, who's the mad director, is saying, "No, no, you have to hold the skull. This is a real friend. Kiss it." And he says, "But I can't. It's only plastic." <laughs> <laughs> they need the real thing, covered in blood and with an eyeball still in it. Uh, so the cast and the, so the whole thing is so she's freaked out and she thinks they're going to kill her because they are because mm, they're because they're ghosts or and murderers. When she, and when she tries to escape. Uh, they actually do, it's, it, they show, like, the, how we, I don't know how often they still use this, but when they did, like, three camera sitcoms, mm. um, that's how they used to do a lot of TV. It would be live on a stage, there'd be three or four, sometimes more, but usually three or four, uh, camera setups, they'd be on these big rollers, and there would be camera operators on each individual one of them, and there'd be a booth or a room in the back, mm. uh, where the director, producer, people, they would stand there, and they would... Cut to each camera. They'd say, okay, cut to camera two. Right. Camera three into place. Cut to camera three. Camera one on a close-up. Camera one on a... Camera, camera one, get on that close... Camera one... Okay, cut to camera two. Camera, mm. camera one fell asleep. Like, and this is how it would go. And I actually learned how to do this in film school. I don't think it's done as much anymore, but... And they would do, like, transitional effects in the booth. Mm. Stuff like cross-dissolve. So... At the end of the episode, she's cross-dissolved into oblivion. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> it's really creepy. Uh, so the cast is pretty cool. The cast includes uh, Mark Leonard, uh, who you probably know as Spock's dad. Uh, Michael Conrad from Hill Street Blues. Uh, Leonardo Camino, who had a long, long, long career uh doing a variety of uh, weird character roles. Uh, he was in The Monster Squad. He was in Dune. He was in mm. Waterworld. He was in Hudson Hawk. Really cool actor. And uh, uh, Charlotte Ray from The Facts of Life. Uh, oh, wait, I'm looking at the next episode already. No, no, no. Uh, the, the the lead, actually, is someone who I spent the entire episode going, how do I know this person? And I looked her name up, up, up Ka- and she's Ka- Kathleen, Kathleen Widows. Kathleen yeah. Widows. And I was like, that isn't helping me. And I looked her up. She was Emma Snyder on As the World Turns for like 25 years. <laughs> I saw her almost every day mm-hmm. for about four 15 years while I was watching that show with my mom, but this was like 20 years later. She was playing, you know, the, a, a matriarch of a family. Good actor. Just hmm. want to give her a shout out. She, she deserves the credit. Um, anyway, uh, a creepy episode. Yeah. Uh, the next episode. The next episode is the one with Charlotte Ray from The Facts of Life. Um, yeah. And this one, this one is fun. This, this, this one is, is a total Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, episode. this is the first one I saw. I was like, oh, this is Tales from the Crypt. Because, yeah. uh, it's about a fellow who is going to a funeral with his wife, and his wife is obsessed with TV and won't ever shut up. Yeah. And uh, the "Why don't you shut up, dear?" is could be a subgenre, like a horror subgenre unto itself. And I swear to God, about half of these episodes are about shitty marriages, about men who plan to scheme to kill their wives mm. because their wives are annoying. Yeah. Like there's, oh, so, there's sometimes an, it's wives trying to kill their husbands. Mostly it's husbands trying to kill their wives. If the wives are trying to kill their husbands, it's usually because the husband is also trying to kill his wife. Yeah. yeah. This movie has a this movie. The show has a thing against wives. <laughs> against <laughs> it's pretty I think, bitter. I think it's just the the institution of marriage in general. But yeah. yeah um, 
uh, a fellow, he's going to a funeral and uh, his, his wife just won't shut up and he clearly is really dissatisfied. He ends up wandering the streets completely enraged by her TV obsession and she uh-huh. loves this TV show and she has to go see her TV shows. Mm-hmm. He wanders back to the same funeral home uh, where, of course, the, the ghoulish funeral director says, ah, come to the back. We have a special service for you. It's yeah. an advance funeral. We give you all of the things we can. We have a few choices. We can give you a box and a shovel and a murder weapon so you can just kill her and bury her yourself. It's just a service we offer. Why wait? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Or if you want the deluxe package, we can do the murder for you. And he's like, oh, well, the deluxe package, please. Yeah. And uh, so they bring him in the back and they talk about all his various options. And he doesn't realize that they have just poisoned him and he's the one who's actually being murdered. By Why? his wife. She she already hired them. No, she didn't. Yeah, she did. It was her. I thought that was a coincidence. No, I thought, I'm pretty sure she was the one who. I think who you're was... conv- I think you're confusing it with the episode 2020 when the, when that does happen. Well, no, that's it's the twist in that one as well. I was under the impression the wife didn't do this one, and it was All just right. this. There, it was just this this like one funeral parlor's kink. Oh, okay. like like people. Co- we a lot of people ask us like how to kill people because we're like the only people they know who actually deal with death every day, and we realize those are all really terrible people. So we thought we'd kill them. Oh, I, is I, the, is I how thought the you, you said that, like your wife came to us earlier. I thought there was a line of dialogue. To that no, I, I I don't think really? that's the, what happened here. Mm-hmm. And again, sorry for our memory is a little hazy on this. Um, the only thing, other thing about this episode I really liked was not that it's a bad episode. It's just pretty straightforward. Uh, is that um, the funeral parlor director who hoists the protagonist by his own petard mm-hmm. is named Mister Petard. <laughs> and I thought cute. that was pretty funny. Yeah. All right, uh, let's see the next yeah, the, episode. The overnight case. Uh, this is oh, yeah. this is the one where you're never sure what's a dream and what's not. Very common and, uh, horror anthology installment. We've run into this. Uh, we ran into this at Hammer House of Horror. We ran into this in Perversions of Science. It was the first episode of Perversions of Science. Oh, was it the very first? Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, but like, and this is this has been an episode of The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. This has been this is a very popular horror movie, uh, horror anthology installment. You're never escaping the dream. You have a nightmare, you wake up, the nightmare persists, you wake up, the nightmare persists in a slightly different way, and, and you're stuck. Here's what, here's how not to end the episode. You explain it. Uh, because they've done this in, I've seen this in like Star Trek episodes mm-hmm. and X-Files episodes. Oh no, we were, we're buried underground and it turns out it was spores making us hallucinate the entire episode. Yeah. It's like, and then there's like a final scene where they're back in reality fighting their way out of a mushroom pit yeah or there was uh uh commander Riker thought he was going crazy and he was in an institution and then he's back on the ship and the, back at the institution they told him the ship was the hallucination yeah. he was a patient this whole time and and then they cut to the final scene and he's like on a bed with a tube in his head and he's being fed hallucinations yeah so, that it, it kills it because yeah. this is actually the, the being I, being off balance is what's making it so uh so effective and the, th- the explanation is not what we're here for. Well, the explanation kind of makes it a problem that can be solved. And the horror of it is the idea that maybe it can't. If you've ever, I have, if you've ever had a dream, a nightmare in which you woke up and you were still in a dream Mm. and it turned into a nightmare again, this kind of story really creeps you out Mm. because you probably know what it's like to feel like you're not sure if you can trust it anymore. And then when you actually do wake up in your bed, I've had recurring dreams in which I was in my bed <laughs> and then I, like literally everything was normal. Uh-huh. I was in my bed. I got up. 
I walked out into the hallway. When I was growing up, the hallway had like a blind left, like you couldn't see it unless you turned. Mm. And then something in the hallway killed me. Wow. To my left. And I'm like, and I woke up on my bed like, oh my God. Oh, I need a glass of water. And I woke up and there was a thing in the hallway and it killed me. And this happened at least one more time. And then when I actually woke up, I just sat there in my bed. I'm like, no fucking way. I'm waiting until it is daylight. I don't care if I have to go to the bathroom. I will sit in it. I am waiting until it is daylight. So at the very least, it looks different in this room. Hmm. And I did. And it scared the shit out of me. Uh... So, yeah, and this one, uh, it's a woman who wakes up and she's waking up next to her husband, but her husband is never her husband. Her husband is always some other guy. And in this case, it's uh, uh, Martin Balsam. At first, it's Martin Balsam, and then it turns into Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, and Kevin, well, first. And then then it's another guy. Well, initially, because initially I'm not sure if it's a dream or not. And Mm. she wakes up, she doesn't think her husband's a real husband, he takes her to a psychologist played by Kevin McCarthy. Then she's like, she had fallen asleep on like the duvet in the, in the office mm. and she wakes up and she thinks Kevin McCarthy is her husband. And then he says, no, I'm your psychologist. And she's like, no, you couldn't possibly be my psychologist. And then she turns around and now, and this is our first indication that we're still in a dream. Mm. He has become Martin Balsam and he's yeah. playing the psychologist now. And she, this happens a whole bunch of times and I she kept, never gets out and that's it. Well, I, I kept expecting there to be some sort of twist. Like there, yeah. it's like a deal sort of thing. These two men have teamed oh. up to drive her crazy and gaslight her into think she's, thinking she's insane. Yeah. But we don't get that. No. Uh, she just keeps having these false awakenings and we realize she's just sort of in this nightmare hell. And I like that ending. Yeah. When, when they explain it, it means that everything that came before it was just sort of like fun and games. We didn't need to know all of those details if all of it was happening inside somebody's head yeah. and there was nothing really at stake. Now there's still something at stake, her sanity. Yeah. And she's going to go insane. All right. Uh, the next episode is called hush hush. Uh, this one is another pretty fanciful one. It involves sci-fi. It stars Philip Coolidge, uh, from inherit the wind and the tingler. And, uh, uh, and in fact, he's kind of reprising his role from the tingler a little bit. Cause do you remember he's, he's in the last shot of the tingler and he can't scream. He's so terrified because mm-hmm. he's quiet. Yeah. And that's the, that's the uh, theme yeah, of this episode. Yeah. I didn't yeah. put that together. Um, and, uh, he is married to, uh, where was my, where's my, I had it right in front of me. Rosemary Murphy. Rosemary Murphy from the kill a mockingbird. And, um, she is because it's way out. She is a, a nagging housewife. She is a shrew. And she she's and, mad uh, because he keeps he's found this incredible scientific breakthrough, this like it's frequency. A, it's a behavior modification ray. Well, what happens is if you hear this if you listen to this exact frequency, it chills you out. And all of a sudden you're relieved from stress and anger. And his whole idea is with this, we can solve every psychological problem. Mm, we can make everybody docile and, and we can, pleased. and we can uh, have a utopia here on earth. And of course, sonic antidepressant essentially. And, and as a result, of course, you know, we'll have to take years of study, but she comes in and she's mad because he missed dinner. And why can't I have nice dinners? And why, why are you ruining my social life? I hate you. I've always hated you. And she actually, she's such a good actor that, that she starts having like a nervous breakdown and you realize that although maybe her priorities are different, mm. they mean a lot to her and she's at the end of her rope with this marriage. Yeah. And yeah. you really start feeling bad for her. And he, in a fit of, I just got to fucking stop this conversation, turns on the machine 
and makes her really placid instantly. Yeah. And he is like, oh, this is great. You're the woman I married again. And I'm like, you you married her. What? You didn't want her to have a personality? What? Mar- but yeah, she has no personality and she's really cheerful and uh-huh. really just laid back. She just wants everything chill and quiet. Ch- ch- very quiet. So quiet, in fact, that if it's too loud, she'll take a hammer to it. Yeah, and so or she'll like she's like she t- breaks the refrigerator because it makes a buzzing noise. She uh, smashes a clock. What, what I found really amusing about this episode, though, is there's this long scene where uh, the husband comes in and she's like really placid and pe- placid and peaceful, and he look, he's walking around the room saying, "What happened to the clock? Oh, I smashed it with a hammer. It was making too much noise." What about the fridge? I broke the fridge too. This was immediately after uh-huh. we already witnessed her murdering someone. Well, she murders like that, their that dog. Should be, that should be their dog the, was yapping, and she it's off camera, but she murders the dog, which is of course. But these are the things a real we, taboo. We, we should we should be building up to the human yeah. murder, but the human murder happens kind of first. Yeah, like so a friend quick. is over and it's like talking too much, and she starts rubbing her temples, and they lean over the the balcony outside of their high apartment and starts yelling out, and she just pushes them off the edge. Very non. And then the husband comes home and starts discovering the little things that would make him suspicious. Yeah. We know how far gone she already is. Yeah. It's actually a really creepy episode. I think that's an interesting inversion of the way the drama usually builds. The setup is arch and implausible, but Mm. the execution is actually really frightening. And uh, she's really great in this. And it it really, really works. Uh, The next episode is a surreal one. It's called Sideshow. Yeah. A a fellow goes to a sideshow. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, there's, there's he's played by things. Murray Hamilton, the mayor from Jaws. Oh, he's the mayor from Jaws. Yeah, I was, okay. that's another one. I was looking. I'm like, how do I know this guy? All right. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. But yeah. uh, he goes into a, a sideshow at a carnival, and there's three things in the sideshow: a really weird fish, a guillotine, and a headless woman. Now, the guillotine and the headless woman might have something to do with one another. Uh, then again, maybe not. Then Who again, knows? maybe not. Who's to say? But perhaps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I, f- I forgot the name of that. It was like Carla, the headless woman, the electric woman. And yeah. She's the idea is she she had her head cut off, but she's being kept alive through electricity. And her head has been cut off, but she's got like a light bulb and a couple of wires sticking yeah. out. It's and the really, simplicity really of it is scary looking. Really disturbing. Yeah. And, and she can move her arms and she starts communicating with this guy psychically. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I need you to come back. So he becomes kind of obsessed uh, with... Uh, with, with the headless woman and, and he's convinced that it's actually like it's all a trick it's done with mirrors and she's, and she's just this woman who's been hostage, imprisoned yeah. by the carnival barker um and uh, this guy is of course in a loveless marriage with a wife who really really nags at him uh his wife is played by margaret i'm sorry not margaret was uh doris margaret plays uh the the headless woman uh, his wife is played by Doris Roberts, uh, the mom oh, from nice. Every Daddy Loves Raymond, mm-hmm. uh, who had a long, long, long career. And many other things. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's probably, I just think it's probably mm-hmm. what most people know her from. Um, but, of course, she's just, and, and she thinks, like, he's, she's staying out late and, like, going out every night by himself. And she, she like, jokes that, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're probably having an affair. Who'd want to be with you? Everybody's and so horrible on this show. terrible. And so he, of course, jumps at the chance to, like, find a way to rescue this woman. And once he does, and he's like, gets out on the stage, and he's got, like, pliers and stuff, and he's going to pull her out of the thing, he realizes that, wait a minute, this isn't done with mirrors. You actually don't have a head. And she's like, I know. Oh, she, oh, she, she actually points out, well, actually, I do. Remember that guillotine? Yeah. Remember that head they had on display, that weird old lady head? 
bring it over here. Yeah. But now, of course, we need a headless automaton, and luckily we have a guillotine right here. <laughs> yes, and so he ends up becoming the next carnival attraction. It's another one where it's like it, the surreality of it is kind of ruined by the explanation. Yeah. It's, it was creepier before the explanation, well, they, but it's they, still so odd. It's, it's odd, it's dark, it's macabre, and the explanation is, is still a surreal one. Yeah, it still doesn't like, make no, sense. Like, yeah, how, like, how like, do you reattach that she, head? She re- like, they reattach the head, like, this is a cycle where they decapitate people? How did they fall into that? How does yeah. this, how is this supposed to work? And no, she just, she puts the head back on, she's okay again, and now he's the, the carnival attraction. Okay. Uh, the next episode is the other episode I didn't see, but I think you did. It's okay. called Soft Focus. This has, uh, the, the poster of this one kind of sums it up. Uh, you can look up, this is the one I always saw when I was looking this up online. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of a guy who's like missing his face. Yeah, his face has been like erased. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it turns out that, yeah, he's, he's a big dickhead and he's a photographer. And he's a big dickhead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we he, got that part. He's, uh, you know, just cruel and he's really vain and concerned about how he looks and he finds that uh it's sort of a dorian gray thing he finds some magical like touch-up uh chemicals hmm. like photo touch-up chemicals and if he can he can like erase features on a photo and when he does it on the photo it happens to his own face ah guess what happens when he uses too much uh, he, he probably erases his own face. And yeah, and over, just erases his own face does he die like does he like suffocate because hmm. he doesn't have any like Airways or just lives out a life just, of... just lives out a life faceless. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it scary? But just it's it's kinda this is another one I saw late. So Alright. Kind of uh, and then the last episode is called Twenty Twenty. Yeah, and I this saw... one makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, I also saw this one late. Let me see if I can remember this right. Okay. So a fellow goes to a taxidermy shop. Mm-hmm. And the taxidermists are really friendly, gruesome kind of people. Yeah. And they have a few pets that they keep around, including a live snake. Yeah, like a python. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's like a, a viper. Po- it's a poisonous snake. It's a viper. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the same day, he also goes to an optometrist, or is it? He, he gets the glasses been, from okay. the taxidermist. All right, here's here's what happened. All right. He is he sells encyclopedias, and he is supposed to go to a place because they had asked to look at these encyclopedias, mm-hmm. and so we could sell them to them. He goes to the wrong place because he just got That's a new right. pair yeah, of glasses yeah, okay. and they're not the right prescription and his vision is off. So he ends up meeting by sheer chance these taxidermists who are very nice people. They, they openly say they prefer the company of animals to people. But other than that, they're actually very charming. And he actually starts thinking to themselves, well, they've got it all figured out because I myself have, because it's way out, a nagging wife. Uh, he's miserable. He's he's. He's browbeaten at work. Uh, and, and he finds when he goes back home, mm-hmm. he has his new glasses. And, and when he puts them on, he's magically teleported back to the taxidermist shop. This is never explained, nor does it make any sense whatsoever. But it, when eventually, when he's talking to the taxidermist and saying, like, yes, I would love to give up my life and like live with you and have this wonderful existence, but I'm stuck in this loveless marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's when the taxidermists reveal that... Sometimes they use their deadly animals to kill people because they don't like people. And so he's like, oh, well, can I hire you to do that? And they're like, sure. And uh, he's getting ready to, like, kill his wife. And, of course, he's being really mean to him. And she actually had, like, a husband before him who she totally preferred and, like, worships. Mm. There's a portrait of him him on the wall. I remember that part. And uh, at one point, uh, while they're arguing, she picks up his glasses instead of hers and puts them on. And he gets really freaked out. Like, oh, no, don't, don't. And he takes them down. 
And that's when we find out that in that brief moment when she put on the glasses, she went to the taxidermists and hired them and paid them more to kill her husband. Mm. Which the taxidermist felt a little unethical about doing, but money is money. And so he ends up dying instead. That's two very different ideas hmm. that don't really gel together. The whole, you put on your glasses, you're in a different place, that's one idea. The whole taxidermist will also kill you, that's another idea. It's very similar to the Death Wish idea, hmm. and maybe that's why they felt the glasses would take the curse off of that being that repetitive. But that, that's, that's a funeral home, they're already dealing with death. Well, it's the taxidermists are dealing with death too. But the glasses a, don't make any sense. Exactly. Yeah. The glasses don't connect to it in any meaningful way, especially the magical part. You could have taken off the magical glasses mm. and just have them accidentally wander into a creepy taxidermy shop and get tempted to do something gruesome. Yeah. And you have the same episode. Maybe they thought it was too similar. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just grabbed two ideas that were kind of the same and this one wasn't as strong. <laughs> but... It's just not as strong. I do actually really love the cast, though. Uh, Sudi Bond uh, is in this. Sudi Bond uh, was in uh, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Okay. Um, it's a good she, movie. And... Yeah, really just a rock-solid character actor. Uh, every time she's in anything, she's always really, really good in it. She just sort of stands out in this episode to me. Um, so it, it ends not on an auspicious note. Mm. Uh, the series actually got really good reviews. And was reasonably well-liked in, like, urban areas, you know, like Los Angeles and New mm. York. But over the majority of America, it wasn't watched. And mm. as a result, it got canceled. If it had lasted 100 episodes, I would not have been surprised. If it had lasted 100 episodes, we would have had a, a rivalry. Yeah. Like, What's we, better? Yeah. Because like, right oh, now, we still have like the sort of rivalry between Twilight, Twilight Zone and, and Outer Limits. And the Outer Limits, And yeah. I feel like time has long since decided that, at least in their original runs, Twilight Zone won that. Twilight Zone is clear is the clear king, but you know if, if you want to stick up for the underdog, then you yeah. say you're an Outer Limits fan. And it's still a great show, don't get me yeah. wrong. Oh yeah, Outer like, Limits is Twilight just Zone fine. felt like it just had a bit more of a singular vision, and mm. Outer Limits was kind of, you know, a little bit... More a scattered, bit, yeah. a little bit, little bit less consistent. Um, ironically, I think Outer Limits had the better revival show. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. The, I think it was like the late '80s or '90s version of Outer Limits. I think it was on Showtime. It was mm. actually really good. And I've ne I haven't seen any of the Jordan Peele show. And I've seen on CBS All Access. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. But I've seen the other revivals of the Twilight Zone, and except for the movie. None of them struck me as particularly interesting. Yeah, this, and of course, this, the movie has a very troubled one, history. The new one's really badly written. Oh, that's like, it's not like a lot of good episodes there. Yeah, I think Twilight Zone might have might have just had too high a standard to meet, whereas yeah. Outer Limits is something you could even move laterally mm. and still be very strong. That Outer Limits like 90s series is quite mm. good, and there's a yeah. lot of good episodes of it. So, so uh, Way Out, I think, would have been in that conversation. I agree. I, it might have been like always in third place. Maybe, but I think it would be a respectable third Its place. defenders would be a little bit snooty about it. It's yeah. like, uh, I watched The Twilight Zone. I watched The Outer Limits. You posers. <laughs> the real horrors were, is way out. Yeah. It would be yeah. like, um, uh, like, oh, what's the better, like, what's the better sci-fi thing? Is it Star Wars or is it Star Trek? And then you've got like, the, these people over here who it's like Red Dwarf. And you're like, yeah. oh! Yeah, yeah. That's a cool club to be a part of, <laughs> isn't it? And it is a cool club to be or, a part or, of. Or in the 90s, if you're a big Doctor Who fan, like before yeah. they revived it. Yeah, back when it was like not popular. It was, ju it was just on pu public television here in yeah. the States. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, it's a cool show, and the good episodes dramatically outweigh the bad, and the bad mm. episodes are still fun to watch. And I appreciate its its overall attitude toward humanity. It's, it's consistent, it's gen- which I appreciate. It's general dark misanthropy. was. It's just so wicked fun. It's hard to find, unless you have a very particular hook, hmm. it's hard in an anthology series to have a sense that every week you're going to tell a completely different story, but it's going to feel of a piece. Yeah. That's something even Twilight Zone didn't quite do. Their Twilight Zone episodes are all over the place. I mean, there's genuinely terrifying episodes, and then there are cutesy Christmas episodes, and like... They're all wonderful, mm. but they're not necessarily all like from the same mind. They're actually—it's actually a very versatile show, and that works. Way Out had a different thing; it had tonal consistency. Yeah, where for every sure. week you felt—it felt like even though only one of these stories was written by Roald Dahl, it felt like most, if not all, of them could have been, mm. and that's strong. And they made chose good stories for the most part. They had good casts. Mm. They made the most off of clearly very low budgets and quick shooting schedules. Like most of these are like one or two locations and they're pretty much all interiors, bedrooms and shops. Uh, you know, yeah, but it works. The, the sort of urban setting definitely helped bind it all together. It was all, all felt like in the same universe. Mm-hmm. The only one that felt a little bit out of place was the frog episode, but it was so odd that I yeah. forgive it. That. Yeah, the frog episode took place more in like a, you know, a sitcom, you know, yeah, suburban yeah. area. But I think even that was clearly on a soundstage. This film was, uh, sorry, this, I keep saying film because I'm a film mm-hmm. critic. Uh, this series was uh, shot in New York City. Mm-hmm. It had pretty much its pick of New York actors. Uh, but apparently, when it uh, when it got canceled, like they stopped doing shows like this in New York, hmm. they stopped. They started moving more and more of this kind of show to Los Angeles. Um, although soap operas, actually, many of them stayed in New York for a long, long time. And it's one of the reasons why daytime soap operas often had really, really good casts. Hmm. It's because uh, oh, are you doing a Broadway show at night? What are you doing in the mid afternoon? You want to do, you want to do like twelve episodes of a soap opera, and that's how they got some really great actors on a wide variety of these shows. Because you can just be a hardworking actor and work day and night, and you'd be great. Mm. Um, if you can keep it up. Go for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously. And and a lot of great actors got their start doing that. And of course, but you know, then everything moved to LA. Um. This is yeah. a this is a damn good show. That's yeah, all I got de- to say. Definitely yeah. canceled too soon. Definitely. I, I, it's sometimes I say it's canceled too soon just because I know it had some potential and mm-hmm. it would be neat to see what would go on. This is one where I want to see more. Yeah. Like I genuinely feel the, a little bit sad that there isn't more for me to get to. They probably would have if after if this was more successful, they might have had a little bit more money, a little bit more time. Mm. The shows might have gotten a little bit more ambitious. But generally speaking, it, it found itself quick. Mm. It found itself very, very quickly. It had a distinctive idea, a distinctive, you know, uh, uh, perspective, um, and um, yeah, and it, it's it's the it's the asshole cousin of the Twilight Zone, and it would yeah. air, and it aired right before the Twilight Zone. Like you watch, like <laughs> to, uh, you watch this like horrible, mean spirited brain Maybe. in a fucking jar episode, and then you see the cute Twilight Zone episode about the kid who like misses his dead grandma and talks to him on the phone. Maybe uh, 
maybe they had to cancel a way out because it made the Twilight Zone seem like the the kiddie show by comparison. I mean, like, totally, here, that might be with, why it didn't appeal. It might have been too the, cruel. The, the Twilight Zone actually has no edge when you watch it back-to-back with Way Out. Well, I think that depends on the episode well, of the so. Twilight Zone. There's a lot of very the, cruel the, the episodes Twilight of the Zone, Twilight Zone. Well, it, it was it was ironic. People got comeuppance, but Rod Serling was actually an incredibly optimistic guy. Raul Dahl was mm. not. Mm. He was an incredibly pessimistic guy. And uh, I think that's the, the vital difference between, hey. uh, between the two shows. Anyway, Way Out, really good show. A lot of these episodes are still up online. Sadly, not all of them, much mm. to my chagrin. I really wish at least one of us could have seen Button Button. Um, but uh, you, by all means, check it out. Uh, most of the episodes are really great. The ones that aren't, still kind of neat. Um, and that is it for Cancelled Too Soon, episode 199 and 5 sixths. Next time, I swear we're doing Briscoe County Jr., okay? <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it. It'll be next week. We're doing Briscoe County Jr. And then after Briscoe County Jr., we're going to try, if I can get the thing to download on my phone mm. properly, I was having some trouble with it, we're going to try to do some Quibi shows before it's too late to see them. Oh. Although I did find out uh-huh. that Quibi, the entity, doesn't own the shows in perpetuity. And after a few years, the rights revert back to the creators, okay. and there may I doubt any of them will get picked up anywhere, but they may be able to be released elsewhere. So, so the, with all, a little luck, they're these, not like they're not going to vanish into the ether. With a little luck, that'll uh, be the case. Yeah. No, in fact, if you watch the show, the shows, movies, whichever one you're watching, you'll see other studios like Paramount mm. made yeah. one of them. Uh, like a bunch of different studios teamed up to put their content on Quibi. Yeah. That doesn't so, mean they'll yeah. actually care enough to put them out, but it mm. will at least be possible. They'll, for exi- them to put they'll them out exist somewhere. in a library somewhere. It's not yeah. just Quibi's going to be deleted. Yeah. So fingers crossed, like even these things that are going away when Quibi mm. vanishes, they will still exist. I know a lot of people were really disappointed because yeah, we haven't really lost a streaming service, like a big one mm. that had a lot of original content because like what happens if Netflix folds? Like let's hypothetically assume it happens. Yeah. What happens to all the Netflix originals? Yeah. yeah. Where do they go? Who owns those? Yeah. It's a good question, yeah. right? So, anyway, Quibi, hopefully not the end, you know, permanently in terms of availability for all these things, but they are going away soon. I'm going to try to get it working on my phone. I had some weird tech issues. Uh, and we're going to try to do at least some of those shows in November before it's too late. Mm. And then uh, in December, we are doing Suddenly Last Season proper. We review all the shows or a lot of the shows that were canceled this last season. Which, cool. which is always a lot, so we got plenty to choose from there. Anyway, that's the schedule. Just wanted to give everyone the heads up. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, uh, we're incredibly grateful to you, whether you're just uh, listening only to Cancel Too Soon or listening to a bunch of shows on the critically acclaimed network. Uh, but uh, very big special thank you to everybody who subscribes, especially if you left us a review. And an extra special, super ultra thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network without whom these shows would not exist mm-hmm. at all. We'd have to like just get, we just have to do other things. We had to find a way to uh, uh, feed our families. <laughs> so thank you so much, everybody uh, who contributes. We uh, hope you're enjoying the exclusive content we have over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have shows about Batman, Star Trek, the Oscars, commentary tracks, Disney plus tons of stuff over mm-hmm. there. Uh, if you subscribe now and you haven't before, you're going to have access to uh, probably at least 100 hours worth of backlog, depending mm. on what uh, uh, tier you join. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, again, thank you for that. Uh, if you want to write in about this show, something we discussed on this show, or anything at all, really, uh, the email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email and answer your questions, queries, critiques uh, on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, and, of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I, myself, am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Thank you.